opened the door to the most powerful room in housing, built for mortgage executives, real estate leaders, and the rising stars that drive innovation and progress. The gathering will feature over 45 powerful speakers on stage in Scottsdale, Arizona from April 21st to 24th. Learn more and register now at housingwirethegathering.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Keenan Chen, Executive Vice President of Strategy and Growth at Clear Capital, to talk about the recent appraisal subcommittee hearing on appraisal bias and on the future of appraisals and appraisers in general. First, here's a word from our sponsor. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, talking with Melinda Wilner, Chief Operating Officer at UWM, about PA+. Melinda, what is PA+, and why did UWM decide to roll this out? PA Plus is a new service for us to help loan officers with processing an entire loan. So it takes a lot of time to gather documents, to review them closely. And what we do is uh, we look at initial disclosures. We get uh, documents from the borrower, both up front and then anything that comes in after the underwriter. We take the loan all the way through closing, schedule that closing date and get docs out to the borrower and see the entire thing all the way through. So we're excited. It's a great way to help our broker scale and to focus on the things that they do, like growing their business and getting leads and bringing in new customers while we take care of the back end of things. Thank you, Melinda. And listeners, you can find out more at uwm.com. Keenan, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Sarah. It's always good to be on uh, with you. Great to have you. We're recording this from the MBA Secondary Market Conference. Um, and, but our topic this morning is appraisals. Well, it's, it's good to be in New York City uh, for, for secondary, but you know, I always want to talk about appraisals no matter where we are. So, <laughs> <laughs> Me too, actually. Me too. Um, so I wanted to have you on because we have had so much appraisal news and movement seemingly in the last couple of weeks. One of these was um, there was an appraisal subcommittee hearing on appraisal bias hosted by the FHFA, and you were in the room. You attended that. Um, so you heard the witnesses, which um, there were witnesses you know, two members from the Appraisal Foundation. There was Jonathan Miller, um, you know, as an appraiser. There was all sorts of people there and you were there. And so I would love to get your take on on what happened in that room. Well, it was, it was great to be there in person. It was actually the first, this is the, the second hearing um, hosted by the, um, by the Appraisal Subcommittee. And uh, the first one I attended virtually. And then this one I actually got to be there in person, which, you know, that makes it really different, first of all, to actually be in the room and, and see, you know, see people's faces when they're not on camera and, and, and get the, the vibe, you know, if you will. So um, I, I thought it was, was, was a, a really um, informative hearing because it was focused specifically on appraisal governance and on the, the, the governing structure, um, you know, accountability, you know, uh, the, the regulatory structure for, for appraisal, which is super complex. So a lot of it was trying to dive into how that actually works and who the different players are. Was a lot of it, when you say a lot of it was diving into that, was it the people on the the FHFA trying to get more information on that? Or what would you say the whole goal was? Yeah, it it seemed like the the goal from the appraisal subcommittee was to um, explore uh, maybe, you know, what the existing structure is in terms of you know who has the authority to set um, uh, uh, appraiser standards and and how appraisers come into the profession um, to get an understanding on how that actually works for boots on the ground appraisers. So 
you know, uh, having a, an appraiser as a witness, let them hear firsthand, is this working for you or not? What are some of the, uh, the, the drawbacks? And then, um, and then, uh, specifically for the, the national fair housing association for the, you know, from a housing, housing advocate perspective, what are concerns that, that you all have when it comes to fairness? So this is all in relation to appraisal bias and how the governing structure is, is, um, perhaps needs to be explored or, or changed to solve appraisal bias. That's really interesting because um, you and I have talked about this and we've written about this, like mm-hmm. how do you get to the bottom of appraisal bias? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's interesting that they're looking at the structure of how, um, you know, appraisers are accountable. Um, that, that that's the, that's the angle they're going at. I think there are a lot of different angles. And I mean, listen, government is like the Titanic, right? So we can be happy that they are digging into it. But what did you feel like? Oh, the takeaway was X. Yeah, I, I'm not sure there's just one one takeaway, you know, from it. I, I think first of all, it's it's a positive thing that 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 these are now being held as public hearings so that um uh these these issues can be um, understood better from you know what, what all these agencies do and 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 uh, um, you know what ideas might come out of that because one of the things that they asked uh, specifically asking you know I think the, the appraiser on the panel like well what would what do you want to see you know what do you think would make it better um, which which I love because you know I think it's important to start getting to the solutions and, and what needs to be changed you know um, uh, to, to make things better for everyone so um, I, th- I thought, you know, this is a continuing series and, um, and this is an important kind of next step. That is. And I'm, you know, I'm glad to, that we can tell our audience that, that they, they are listening to appraisers because I do think um, appraisers can feel like they are being sidelined, right? Like they're mm-hmm. some of the new options really give lenders um, the ability to just go around the appraisal. Of course, only if the loan, you know, is eligible for that or whatever. We had um, a webinar last week where we had, um, you know, the chief appraiser from Freddie, um, the SVP of that at, at Fannie, uh, Lyle Radke, and, you know, c- come on and talk about what does this mean? And they and they both made the point of like, that is not the goal. That is not the intent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, Lyle was specifically said, you know, we're, we, we weren't doing this to like launch a whole hybrid thing. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, he really made the point that he felt like it was going to be, um, you know, it is going to have an effect, but it's not going to be like appraisers don't have a job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think with a lot of, um, a, a lot of things changing because of technology, um, really in every industry, you know, we're all wrestling with this, you know, um, you know, of course we've been talking a lot about recently about generative AI and, yeah. um, and what does that really mean? Is that going to just replace people? Is, is that going to, um, uh, you know, create barriers to, to people's employment or, or how's it going to help? Um, and I think it's the same way here with, with, with appraisal is that Fannie and Freddie are, are using technology to try to provide a better customer experience, better consumer experience in the home buying process, not for the goal of just, you know, disrupting, um, uh, appraiser's ability to, uh, be involved in the process, but for the sake of increasing options, uh, for for consumers to more easily you know ob- obtain a loan, um, so I think that intent is is important, right? Um, because you know technology can be used to create a lot of opportunity, 
But yeah, you do need to carefully consider how this can impact existing professions, existing roles, and how should those evolve um, to allow people to still, you know, make a good living, use the skill sets they have to contribute. Um, so we, we wrestle with that a lot. You know, how do we bring people along with us so that multiple groups can win and you're not just trying to disrupt one group to help another? That's that's a really um, key differential here because I do think that if you're an appraiser, you might feel like, well, we're just helping the lenders. But to your point, Scott Reuter of Freddie mm-hmm. Mac was saying it really came about because they, you know, they looked at the experience of the borrower and when we had just that incredible, you know, run up in, in um, refis and in houses being bought in 2020, 2021, and even into the early part of 2022 and how they never want to see that again, right? Like it was a, it was a, it was a crappy time for, for all of us when it came to that. And so the impetus there is not like, Hey, we just want to get appraisers out of there, or at least that's, you know, mm-hmm. that's the line. On the other hand, I hear from a lot of appraisers mm-hmm. and they, they generally 99% feel like they are, they are being systematically cut out. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's interesting that I think the way that um, these more recent programs from Fannie and Freddie are, are being talked about by, by Fannie and Freddie is um, that this is really an extension of, a, of the waiver program that already existed. And in, in a way, this is actually ensuring that um, better data is being collected. Um, and, and so I think we, you know, it, it, it's important, right. That, um, uh, that, that the, the risk that might be there with not seeing the home, not having robust data on it, um, to, to do these automated decisions that, that we, we don't, we don't lose this opportunity, right. To, to gather robust data. And, um, so rather than thinking of it as, as an appraisal replacement, it's really uh, making the waiver program more more robust. Um, but but certainly, you know, understand why you know that's that type of change would would create you know concern. But I I, I really do think it's going to open up other opportunities for appraisers to be involved um, in in the profession in in, in different ways. That skill set is very much needed. Um, that expertise is very much needed. I'll, I'll draw actually an, uh, an analogy to that, um, w- which is, um, again, going back to the generative AI I- I idea, Microsoft and others are building uh, the ability to do coding, uh, to do development, even if you're not a developer, but to be able to have you know the AI generate code um, in a way that, one, it could make developers really productive, but also could, I think, concerns some people that, oh, am I going to be replaced? You know, am I still going to be needed? And um, what's being seen is that we need people that really understand the business more, not just being coders, but also understand the business and know how to use that technology to uh, to generate better apps that, that, that work really well. So it's, it's a similar type of evolution that's going to happen in a lot of different industries, not just appraisal. Um, so it's important to rec- recognize that now and start to train people uh, for what's to come. I think that's so important. So the future of appraisals, but specifically the future of the appraiser profession mm-hmm. is something that you and I have talked about. Was that brought up at all in, in or was that a, a topic? Because one of the things we see is like um, there that might be that might have a um, bearing on appraisal bias, but it also is if you're making these changes can be a volatile time to try to attract people. 
Uh, Absolutely. I mean, it was talked about quite a bit in the hearing, um, you know, some of the the same stats we've heard a lot about, you know, the the average age of the workforce, you know, the the need for diversity, not just diversity in terms of uh, racial diversity, but also age, right, of of newer newer, um, interests coming into the career. But but I thought it was actually interesting that there was good conversation around, it's not just about people coming in right out of school. There's also people that might want to make a career change, you know, um, you know, in mid-career. And what can we do to make this um, something that allows, uh, breaks down the barriers and the current roadblocks for people coming into the profession? Um, but I think as, a, as an industry, we need to think a lot about, again, this idea of a human in the loop with great expertise working with technology and data to produce an even better result. And uh, that's what we should start embracing. We should start embracing it. it I, I will tell you that I'm not sure that appraisers are the workforce that I would think of as like, oh, they're going to embrace this sort of like tech forward um, mentality. Do you do you feel differently than that? I, I think there's there's a lot of um, uh, appraisers that are already embracing technology and that um, we saw a, a big change happen from from uh, the pandemic, you know, t- to now, I think there's actually has been a shift of, of people really willing to, to learn and, and think about things differently. Um, uh, you know, we, we've seen, of course, for things like hybrid appraisals, we've seen um, a great interest in, uh, in, in that. And um, another example is, you know, using technology to do measurements of, of, of the property. Um, you know, there's some efficiency in, in there too. So we've seen people, you know, trying that and, and adopting that. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, like, like any other um, mortgage-related industry, sometimes it takes a while, right, to, to see that adoption happen. But, you know, I, I don't think, I, I don't like to paint this picture that, like, well, no one's willing to, to do it. I think there are uh, a large group of, of appraisers that are looking to evolve and looking to uh, use te- technology. But, um but we've got to make it easy uh, to do that and then also assure people that they're still very much needed in the process. I think too, you know, there's a lot of professional pride that appraisers have because they went through this process of like, they were, you know, sort of that apprenticeship process of being trained in this. They've, you know, they've built up an expertise in this. And so um, understandably there, and, and I think that most appraisers, they want to do a really good job, right? I mean, you don't go into this because, oh, it's just, it's just, you know, the thing that everybody does. And so I feel like so many of them, when you talk to them, they talk about quality is really important to them. And they're, it's not just that they're like, you know, oh, my job's going to go away, but they really do worry about the quality of the data being provided or the people collecting that data, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm very often um, impressed and inspired by the passion that people have for the, the profession, for what they do. Um one of the things that was talked about at the hearing, though, was was you know the current supervisory model um, uh, is making it very hard for um, for new people to to come into the to the profession. So there was a lot of conversation around um, alternate training models, like the the Perea, um, uh, model, and and um, and 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 how that might help reduce some of the barriers. For someone having to find a supervisor, and then you know the the, the time it takes of, of hours that a, a supervisory appraiser has to um, 
really dedicate a lot of time with someone that might end up that's highly motivated to leave after they've trained them. Um, and, and if, if they, uh, open up their own practice, it's probably going to be in the same area they were trained. So they're basically kind of creating competitors, if you will. So, um, Perea might open some of those doors and there's also other talk of, um, uh, other types of training um, that would be more classroom based. Um, so yeah, I, there's, there's a lot to, a lot to discuss there, uh, as to remove barriers, but also make sure that people are already equipped for what the profession is going to look like in the future. I love that. And to your point, it is not just appraisers who have to deal with this. Absolutely. Every one of us. I mean, the what's happening with AI right now is, could be a game changer across the board. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's not just about chat GPT, although that's, that's the, the, the headlines right now. And like, we're all, we're all still excited that it can write my email for me. Yes. You know, <laughs> uh, we're thinking about these very sort of um, simple tasks. But where it's already going is that AI is, is opening up ways to do very complex tasks across multiple, um, uh, multiple types of AI models all at the same time. So, um, I mean, what if you could ask uh, AI to go find um, uh, the best place to vacation set up your itinerary for you based on your likes, the budget that you want to spend, and it could build your whole trip for you, book it, and all you need to do is show up. Wow. Um, I think that's more where we're, we're, we're headed. Um, and so how does that apply then to the process of home buying and getting a mortgage? You know, maybe it's me, you know, saying, hey, I'm interested in finding a house in a certain area. Here's what I want to spend. I want to work with these types of lenders. Here's what I'm bringing to the table. I mean, all of that is starting to open up. So this idea of thinking bigger about it and how that might change all of the different jobs we have, I think is what's in front of us. And that's not just limited to appraisal. So talking about the future of anything, you know, you were just part of a event that we hosted called Reimagining the Future of Appraisals. And, and in that, we really wanted to uh, gather people together who were thinking about this, this idea very differently, especially when it came to appraisal bias and how do we tackle that. And, and one of those themes was restorative valuation, which was something I hadn't even really heard about before. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could give us a little synopsis of what that means. Yeah, that, that was a fun panel to be on um, uh, because I got to be a moderator, and and honestly, that that's a topic that you know I was learning right as I was um, talking to everyone, and um, you know, really, what it is is you know, there's there's people really looking at what are different approaches to valuation that would also solve uh, some of the challenges around um, uh, gentrification um, because like when when you go and develop you know an area. How do you do that in a way that doesn't push the existing, you know, homeowners and existing community out um, in order to um, see, you know, value be created in, in, in the neighborhood? And um, and what I like about some of these approaches is kind of interesting is that um, there's a big focus on on data. Let's look at this as a data problem, um, not just a, a people thing where we're trying to point the finger at someone and say, well, it's probably because, you know, you're being discriminatory or, 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 or whatever. Um, we, this issue is very complex and it didn't happen overnight. And, um, 
you know, no one group needs to shoulder the, the blame, you know, for where we are. We just need to understand we are where we are. But let's look at the let's look at ways to build models based on on, on the data that would create some fairness and not not disrupt current communities by um, by realizing the value that might be in properties if they were invested in a certain way and, and things like that. So so I, I just thought that's a really interesting, you know, challenging way to think about it um, that um, that in, inspires some some new ways to approach it. Yeah, it does. And I think you and everyone else who was involved in that really wanted to talk about solutions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we've, we've, you know, and, and to get to solutions, you have to understand the problem and you have to think of, you know, all the different things uh, that are in play again, like the, the subcommittee hearing that you were at, but at the same time, uh, what I got from those panelists from you and, and the others was like, let's, let's take action. What can we do? Mm-hmm. What, what can, what are, what can we actually do and not just talk about it? Yeah. Well, I think for us, it all starts with, you know, the, the very first thing we have to do is we, we, we need to bring things more into um, into the, the digital realm earlier. You know, we, um, we've always wrestled with being a paper-based industry within, within mortgage, but, um, you know, this really should start with, you know, capturing properties in a digital format early on and, and ensuring that there's better data coverage in areas that have been... Um, uh, difficult to to find data in, in the past, which then means that all these automated models that are being created are less accurate in certain communities. So, um, you know, we're all about let's let's democratize, you know, the creation of data of good property data, um, so that anyone can have access to you know, scanning a home. Anyone can have access to generating something that then can be used to improve the accuracy of valuations going forward, and. Uh, that's that's what I get excited about is that those are tangible steps we can take right now, you know, knowing that there's going to be a lot of different ways to approach the actual valuation in the future. But boots on the ground right now, let's find as many ways to digitize properties in a super accurate way um, so that they, that data is available to us. Well, and yeah. that brings us full circle to what the GSEs are trying <laughs> to do, right? Because they call this process the appraisal modernization yeah. Right. Is, is what they're doing. And they started it a decade ago, more, more than a decade ago. So to, for them, you know, this is just the next step. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that is, and the data is the key. They're trying mm-hmm. to standardize things to your point. Um, you know, it's a, in a paper-based model. And when there's a lot of different things you can do, how do you standardize it? Well, they're, they're figuring that out. They're solving for that. Mm-hmm. You know, the, those are the two biggest changes. I know it's kind of, it's, it's kind of nerdy, but like the, the two things we that I... We love nerdy on this podcast, um, Keenan. It's, let me nerd out for a second. But <laughs> but I mean, the two things that are kind of cool is one is for this idea of data collection that has to be technology enabled. There is a, a, a data um, standard by which that property should be, should be captured. And, um, and uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are working together on that unified, you know, data set. There's also a new um, uh, uniform appraisal data set, a, re- a redesign um, that was announced um, uh, that uh, is, is being put in place that will actually change the way that the, um, the standard appraisal form is done, again, to make it more objective, to reduce the number of, you know, kind of open commentary fields to be more specific, you know, data points. All of these things are 
to me, progress. Um, because if you don't have high quality data, everything else we're talking about trying to do, you know, including understanding where bias is and, and if, you know, if there's bias in, in different areas, how do you fix that? Um, that's a really hard problem to solve if you don't have really good high quality data and, and good standards. So that's my, that's my nerding out there. <laughs> Listen, no, no, we appreciate it. And that's the kind of thing that I think is so helpful when we, when we get experts like yourself on this talking about it. Well, the last thing I want to bring up is um, sort of a contentious one between the lenders and the appraisers, maybe, um, which is like, who is liable for appraisal bias at the end of the day? And we had the CFPB and the De- uh, Department of Justice weigh in on um, a lawsuit hmm. um, that's that's being brought against Lo- Loan Depot alleging um, appraisal discrimination, right? Bias uh, discrimination. And they, they came in on the side of like Loan Depot should have known, uh, lenders should know and, and should be able to spot that and then uh, solve for that in the process. And we're here at the uh, NBA secondary conference. And, and one of the comments that, you know, uh, Bob Brooksmith, their CEO said was like, lenders shouldn't be on the hook for that because it is that arm's length transaction. And it is, you know, um, you know, something that they're, they're removed from. And so I I think you could have, I I like what you said earlier, like, this isn't about who to blame, Mm -hmm. but in this particular conversation, it's like, where, at at what point should someone have seen it, I guess? Hmm. Well, I, I, you know, I think with what was said in the hearing and, and what um, was said here at, at MBA Secondary, I mean, it just speaks to the complexity uh, of the issue. We have a, a appraisal uh, or appraiser independence um, rules that came out of the housing finance crash and, and Dodd-Frank and, you know, for a reason. You know, those were put into place um, to create, um, uh, you know, to to, to protect against um, some of the confirmation bias type things that were happening um, before then. And um, so, you know, you know, there's, there's obviously, um, uh, you know, uh, concerns on, on, on both sides and, um, and it'll be interesting to see where it, you know, where, where it lands. But I, I, I think, you know, my takeaway, you know, from that is that is that I think lenders are really looking for uh, ways to improve appraisal quality, um, uh, but in a way that doesn't add to inefficiencies, you know, within their process. Um, and knowing that there's more of a spotlight and scrutiny, you know, um, on this means that um, lenders need to find better tools that um, uh, that, that help them. Uh, uh, understand what's going to reduce risk for them, um, what's going to um, uh, help them provide good context for the decisions that they've made, but do it in an automated fashion uh, because, uh, you know, efficiency is, a, is and cost cutting, right, is hugely important right now. So, you know, we think about it as, again, AI is, is another um, uh, path there to, um, you know, using computer vision and things to, uh, to understand the appraisal in its entirety, the photos, uh, uh, what's going on there in relation to the data that's there and, and helping lenders manage more by exception instead of just doing more, you know, manual review and just, you know, um, of, of PDF documents. We can evolve from that, right? We can, we can be in a space where, um, you can get quality and efficiency at the same time, um, so that's what I take away from that is that there's a huge spotlight on this. 
there's going to be a lot of challenges, you know, back and forth. But but from from my standpoint, that means I get to focus on providing better ways to understand quality and accuracy. Keenan, always a thoughtful, great conversation. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Hi, I'm McKenna Clay, Events and Programs Specialist here at HW Media, and I wanted to invite you to our upcoming event this summer. A theme we've heard from housing leaders this year is the importance of relationships to not only survive, but be strategic in 2023. And that's why we decided to invite the top C-suite executives and leaders in mortgage to join us at Gathering of Eagles in Austin, Texas from June 18th until 21st. Now, Gathering of Eagles has historically been exclusive to the nation's most elite brokerage, association and team leaders, and C-suite leaders. But for the first time this year, we're opening up the audience to include execs from mortgage, title, and insurance so that you can connect and build vital partnerships for your business. If you want to learn more, visit the events page on realtrends.com and you can get registered today to come hang out with us in Austin. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.